0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: there are multiple clues scattered throughout the Bible as to the place where Solomon, the richest king of ancient Israel, mined the gold which gave him his power. Explorers have searched in the Middle East, Africa, and North America, but it has never been found. If you enjoy these episodes on King Solomon's Mines and want to hear more tales of history's greatest mysteries, subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries. New episodes premiere every Thursday Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: When the great King Solomon finally completed his marvelous temple atop a hill in Jerusalem, he led a grand procession from Mount Ophel.
1: They carried the Israelites' greatest treasure, the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the gold-covered wooden box rested the twin stone tablets, the Ten Commandments.
0: As Solomon led the Ark to its resting place in the temple's inner sanctum, a great cloud suddenly appeared, filling every corner of the room. Solomon claimed it was a sign of God's approval.
1: He'd hired the best Phoenician masons and carpenters to shape the stones. He'd covered the floors and walls in the finest Lebanese cedar, And sparing no expense, the mighty king had covered every inch of the temple in the finest beaten gold.
0: The same gold filled Jerusalem's treasury. It was the source of Solomon's wealth and his power. And yet, despite all that was written about how Solomon spent his gold, there is very little to indicate where the gold actually came from.
1: For thousands of years, biblical scholars, historians, pilgrims, and treasure-seekers alike have obsessed over Solomon's gold mines. As a result, the mines have become one of the world's most legendary lost treasures.
0: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast Original. I'm your host, Molly.
1: And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type unexplained mysteries in the search bar
0: at parcast we're grateful for you our listeners you allow us to do what we love let us know how we're doing reach out on facebook and instagram at parcast and twitter at parcast network
1: and if you enjoy today's episode the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening it really does help
0: this is our first episode on king solomon's minds According to the Old Testament, Solomon was the richest king of ancient Israel. Vague clues are scattered throughout the Bible about the source of the gold that gave him his power. Explorers have searched for the mines in the Middle East, Africa, even North America, but they've never been found.
1: This week, we'll explore the biblical story as well as the true history of Solomon's reign, his famous temple, and his alliances across the ancient world. Next week,
0: we'll discuss the main theories about the possible location of King Solomon's legendary mines.
1: In Jewish, Christian, and Muslim history, King Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest of the ancient kings of Israel. The son of King David and his queen Bathsheba, Solomon focused his rule on strengthening Israel's tenuous alliances and developing building projects in and around Jerusalem.
0: Working from archaeological clues and biblical hints, scholars have estimated King Solomon's reign as 970 to 931 BCE. During this period, he formed a lucrative partnership with King Hiram I of Tyre, entered a relationship with the glamorous Queen of Sheba, and enriched the Israelites' kingdom through the mining and collection of gold.
1: As the precious metal flowed into Jerusalem's coffers, so too did power flow into the city. But where did the fortune come from?
0: Ruling kingdoms often filled their coffers through tribute payments from surrounding areas. But based on biblical descriptions, ancient Israel was far too small of a kingdom to account for the amount of gold that Solomon reportedly brought into the city.
1: There's also the issue of the source. There are very few gold deposits anywhere in the Middle East and little evidence of any mining operations during the time of Solomon's suspected reign.
0: This begs the question, how rich was King Solomon really? Is it possible he inflated his purported wealth?
1: In its early years, the Kingdom of Israel was constantly at war. Kings like David, who ruled from approximately 1010 BCE to 970 BCE, focused their efforts on protecting Jerusalem from invaders and securing the alliances between the 12 tribes of Israel.
0: It wasn't until Solomon ascended to the throne in 970 BCE that Israel's focus turned to increasing its status and prosperity. Though most of the dates in this story are estimates, It would seem that Solomon took control of the country when he was only 15 or 16 years old.
1: Just four years into his rule, at age 19, Solomon began building the Great Temple to Yahweh, an ancient name for God that appears in the Hebrew Bible. Solomon also reorganized the kingdom into new districts to centralize power in Jerusalem, which his father had made the capital city. He is credited with writing several books of the Bible, including Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon.
0: He traveled with King Hiram of Tyre to far off lands like Tarshish. These trips brought gold, silver, myrrh, ivory, and other luxury goods into Israel. In a single year, Solomon collected 666 talents of gold from various expeditions, That's equal to almost a billion dollars worth of gold today.
1: Above all, Solomon was known for his thoughtfulness and wisdom. His status as a wise ruler is perhaps best exemplified in the story of the judgment of Solomon.
0: As relayed in the Book of Kings, one day two young mothers came to Solomon at his court. They shared a house, and the day before, one of their two babies had died in its sleep. Each of the mothers claimed the surviving baby as her own.
1: Solomon, after taking some time to ponder the conundrum, declared that he would cut the infant in half and each mother would receive their fair share of the boy.
0: One mother readily agreed. Nodding, she said that if she couldn't have the living child, then no one could.
1: The second mother was more upset. Crying out, she implored King Solomon to give the baby to the other woman. She didn't care who got the boy, as long as he was kept safe.
0: Solomon smiled and motioned for his guard to resheathe his sword. He declared that the second woman was obviously the boy's mother, as only the true parent would relinquish her baby to save its life.
1: This story spread throughout Israel as evidence of Solomon's wisdom. And according to the biblical and archaeological record, his prudence and foresight led to a great age for the
0: kingdom. Solomon struck alliances that contributed to the economic boom in the Levant, an eastern Mediterranean region that contains modern-day Cyprus, Israel, Jordan, Palestine, Syria, and parts of Turkey. To secure trade with other kingdoms, he married multiple wives from those regions. His most famous and mythologized trade relationship was with the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of
1: Sheba only shows up for a brief moment in the Hebrew Bible. But in that short reference, she captured the attention of storytellers for generations.
0: While there are competing theories, the land of Sheba is thought to have spanned from East Africa across the Red Sea to the Arabian Peninsula. It most likely covered the area of modern-day Eritrea, Somalia, Ethiopia, and Yemen.
1: The queen, hearing of Solomon's wisdom, journeyed to Israel with offerings of ivory, frankincense, myrrh, camels, monkeys, precious gems, peacocks, and
0: lots of gold. She came to test the supposed wisdom of the king. When she arrived, she posed him a series of riddles. There's no
1: record of her puzzles in the written scripture, but there are popular folktales describing what the Queen of Sheba asked Solomon.
0: One of these stories inspired a 15th century German tapestry. According to the inscription woven into the fabric, The queen asked Solomon first to distinguish between a real and fake flower she presented to him. She then asked Solomon to identify the biological sex of two identically dressed children.
1: Solomon replied that a bee will only feed from the real flower. He also said that the child who is kneeling is female, as kneeling is indicative of femininity.
0: That last explanation sounds a bit odd today, but apparently it made sense to the Queen of Sheba. Satisfied with Solomon's answers, she gave him the huge amount of gold she had brought across the desert.
1: This brief encounter spurred countless stories and legends about Solomon and the Queen. A similar version of the riddle story appears in the Muslim Quran. In this interpretation, The Queen is inspired by Solomon to convert to Islam and have her entire country follow suit.
0: Non-religious Arabic folktales link the Queen of Sheba to the jinn, a type of intelligent demon spirit. Other tales paint her as a consort of King Solomon.
1: If legends are to be believed, the two monarchs had an incredibly close relationship. According to some traditions, they even had a child together. Either way, they continued to act as allies and trade partners throughout Solomon's rule, further enriching Israel.
0: By the end of his reign, Solomon had reportedly turned the capital city of Jerusalem into a citadel of white and gold. He'd imported luxuries and built a great palace for himself. The crowning achievement of his new city was the gold-covered temple to Yahweh on the Temple Mount.
1: Perhaps his legendary mines, the source of all Israel's opulence and power, could be found in the far-off kingdom of Sheba. To find the gold, one must simply figure out where exactly Sheba was.
0: But that's a bit harder than it sounds. Just like the mines, the ancient country of Sheba has been lost for thousands of years.
1: Next, we'll follow the hunt for Solomon's wealth in ancient Africa. Now, back to the story.
0: During his 40-year reign from 970 to 931 BCE, King Solomon ushered in a new age of prosperity in Israel. He built a compound of white stone and gold atop the hills of the city.
1: This complex was comprised of the royal palace on Ophel, the city of David, which was the main settlement in Jerusalem, and the fabulous Temple to Yahweh on the Temple Mount.
0: Solomon was known across the ancient world for his wealth and wisdom. His reputation helped him sow alliances, like his partnership with the Phoenician King Hiram of Tyre. It also led others to seek him out and establish trade, like the beautiful, brilliant queen of the land of Sheba.
1: Under Solomon's rule, Israel's 12 tribes turned their focus from warfare to prosperity and business. And the lifeblood of this new Israel was pure,
0: precious gold. The source of Solomon's gold was the source of his power. But today, the location of his precious mines has been lost to the figurative and possibly literal sands of time.
1: One legend ties Solomon's wealth to his relationship with the Queen of Sheba. While their meeting is only given a few brief lines in the Hebrew Bible, other religious interpretations give more weight to the rendezvous.
0: As we mentioned, present-day Ethiopia was likely included in ancient Sheba. According to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Solomon's introduction to the queen is one of the most important events in Ethiopia's history.
1: The Kebra Nagast, translated as the glory of the kings, is an essential text to Ethiopian Christians. The existing manuscript was published sometime in the 1300s and was written in Ge'is, the ancient language of the region.
0: According to the text, the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon had a much more involved relationship than the Bible suggests. When the Hebrew Bible mentions their meeting, it says that Solomon gave the queen all her desire whatsoever she asked.
1: According to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, whatever she asked included a sexual relationship.
0: According to this take on the legend, The queen had a child by King Solomon, a son named Menelik I. He took on the religion of his father and ruled Sheba from the ancient city of Aksum. His line governed modern-day Ethiopia for generations.
1: When Menelik was a young man, he traveled with his mother from Sheba to Israel to meet his father. During his visit, Solomon presented Menelik with a replica of the Israelites' greatest treasure The ark of the covenant
0: one night before he left menelik managed to switch the imitation ark with the one that resided in solomon's temple he then brought the real ark back with him to sheba
1: according to popular jewish historical tradition the ark went missing from jerusalem sometime in
0: the 500s bce According to the Ethiopian Orthodox Christians, this lost treasure lies inside Our Lady of Zion Church. For millennia, monks hid the Ark behind a simple curtain and guarded it against prying eyes. No one besides the chosen few at the head of the church have ever been permitted to see the Ark for themselves. The
1: stolen Ark of the Covenant isn't the only thing that ties Ethiopia to King Solomon. According to the Kebra Nagast, the dynasty started by Menelik I, son of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, stretched onwards for almost 3,000 years.
0: In fact, Haile Selassie, the last emperor of Ethiopia, claimed to be Menelik's descendant. If this was true, then the Solomonic dynasty ruled Ethiopia from the 900s BCE until 1974, when Haile Selassie was overthrown.
1: Perhaps the source of King Solomon's gold could be Ethiopia via Sheba, or it could be another place mentioned in the Hebrew Bible.
0: Throughout the Old Testament, one name in particular continually appears next to descriptions of King Solomon's gold. This is Ophir, an unspecified port or trading center that sent Israel shipments of silver, sandalwood, pearls, ivory, apes, peacocks, and most importantly, gold.
1: The Book of Kings describes a journey that Solomon and Hiram, king of Tyre, took to Ophir in search of gold tributes.
0: Ophir could very well be the site of King Solomon's gold mines. The issue then is to figure out where exactly Ophir is in the modern world.
1: Unfortunately, there is very little context in the parts of the Old Testament that mention Ophir. The port city was obviously famous for its gold, and the Hebrew Bible repeatedly references its wealth.
0: These passages, however, assume that the reader knows exactly where they're talking about. Ophir was apparently well-known enough when the Old Testament was written that no other geographical markers are mentioned. We can't even be entirely sure what continent it's on.
1: We know that the expedition to Ophir set sail from the port of Etzion Geber on the Red Sea. Therefore, it makes sense that Ophir could be nearby and reachable by ship. Popular theories say that Ophir was on the eastern coast of Africa, somewhere on the Arabian Peninsula,
0: or even in India. But no one can say for certain. Perhaps Ophir is still out there somewhere, waiting to be found beneath the dunes. There's just not enough left in the written record.
1: This blind spot is partially the result of the way Solomon's reign concluded. Even with all his gold, by the end of his term, King Solomon faced the destruction of everything he had built.
0: While the king had a reputation for wisdom, according to the Bible, it was his sins against Yahweh that ultimately led to the dissolution of the kingdom he'd fought so hard to establish.
1: As the king grew older, his heart turned away from the Jewish god. He built temples to the gods of his wives' homelands and allowed his people to worship there. Solomon himself began to worship Astarte, a Phoenician fertility goddess, and Moloch, a bloodthirsty Canaanite god who could only be sated by human sacrifice.
0: God appeared to Solomon in a vision. The deity said he would break Israel apart for its people had turned to idolatry and the worship of other gods.
1: When King Solomon died in 931 BCE, he left behind a dazzling city. Beyond his palace and temple, he'd built a magnificent courthouse, a house for his main wife, and multiple pagan altars and temples for his other wives. All of these were made of the finest cedar and stone topped with gold.
0: Before the king's body was cold, Yahweh's threat was swiftly carried out. When Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took the throne, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel refused to recognize him as their ruler. During his reign, Solomon had implemented hefty
1: taxes on the surrounding tribes. Now that he was dead, the 10 tribes demanded that Rehoboam cut the taxes his father had implemented but he refused.
0: So these tribes split off, dividing Solomon's prosperous kingdom into the two warring states of Israel and Judah. Judah would never again rejoin Israel under a Jewish king. Solomon's work was undone.
1: The story of King Solomon is a fantastic and dramatic one with captivating characters like the Queen of Sheba and a powerful allegory of sin and destruction. According to the Hebrew Bible, Jerusalem under Solomon became the glittering golden capital of a mighty kingdom. But did any of it actually happen that way?
0: The archeological record is somewhat sparse when it comes to King Solomon. This isn't surprising. When the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar II invaded Jerusalem in 587 BCE, they razed it to the ground.
1: Jerusalem has been rebuilt many times over the centuries. There were even multiple temples built on the Temple Mount, the site of Solomon's fabled Temple of Yahweh.
0: The Temple Mount is an incredibly important site to all of the Abrahamic religions. Today, it's home to the Muslim Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque, which are some of the oldest works of Islamic architecture.
1: A boulder atop the mount, called the Foundation Stone, was thought to be the site of the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum in Solomon's first temple. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was housed and where God himself manifested his presence. The prophet Muhammad is believed to have begun his famous night journey from the foundation stone.
0: Due to the importance of the site to multiple religions, significant archaeological excavation of the Temple Mount has proved tricky. Evidence supporting the account of King Solomon's building projects in the Bible was only recently unearthed. An Israeli archaeologist says newly excavated ancient fortifications in Jerusalem date back 3,000
1: years to the time of the Bible's King Solomon. Hebrew University's Eilat Mazar says pottery shards date the walls to 1,000 years before Christ.
0: It's the first time that we have a city gate and a fortification line from the time of King Solomon. This is a 10th century,
1: most beautifully preserved section of the city wall. If she's right, the findings would indicate a strong central government in Jerusalem at that time because building city walls demanded great resources and organization.
0: It indicates about the 10th century that suits so well with the biblical version.
1: Some archaeologists argue that David and Solomon's monarchy was mythical. Others, including Mazar, believe they actually ruled 3,000 years ago. While some archaeological evidence has been found on the Temple Mount supporting the existence of Solomon's Temple, there is nothing indicating that any gold was mined there.
0: But what of Sheba? Even today, Ethiopia is an exceedingly gold-rich country. It's known for having seams of gold lying very close to the earth's surface. Is it possible that the gold that covered the first temple built in Jerusalem came from what is now Ethiopia?
1: Author Tahir Shah tried to answer this question when he journeyed to Ethiopia in 1999. Shah is a British journalist and author known for recounting his far-flung journeys in travel literature.
0: Shah spent a year crisscrossing the East African nation, trying to find the possible source of King Solomon's gold.
1: Throughout his journey, Tahir became more and more certain that the mines of King Solomon must be hidden somewhere in gold-rich Ethiopia's rugged countryside.
0: When he stumbled upon mentions of a mysterious cave filled with gold in an out-of-print explorer's travelogue, he knew he'd found it. Hidden in a secret cavern in a certain mountain in Ethiopia, Shah believed King Solomon's mines awaited him.
1: Now, all he had to do was find the entrance.
0: We'll travel deeper into the mines and Ethiopia's history after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special
1: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com.
0: King
1: Solomon's mines have been lost to the annals of history, but there may be clues hidden in the Hebrew Bible that point the way to the lost treasure. Like the lost city of El Dorado, seekers believed that finding the mines could bring wealth beyond their wildest dreams and inspired scores of expeditions.
0: On one of these trips, American archaeologist Nelson Glick claimed that he'd found King Solomon's mines in the Negev Desert in Israel. But instead of gold, these mines provided King Solomon with untold wealth in the form of copper. Beginning
1: in 1938, 37-year-old Glick excavated a site called Tel el-Khalifa, He dated the earliest structures there to the 10th century BCE, which coincides with King Solomon's rule.
0: Glick believed one of the buildings he found was meant to act as a refining room for copper ore.
1: He declared that the holes found in the walls of the excavated building were obviously flues meant to provide a natural draft to cool off smelting activities.
0: He also discovered a number of fire-blackened pottery shards and reported that they were certainly ancient crucibles used to separate copper ore from slag. The proof was there. Copper was the lifeblood of early Israel, not gold. Glick's findings were published and became a popular theory. But
1: his hypothesis was short-lived. It was Glick's own assistant, Benno Rothenberg, who shattered the illusion.
0: As he worked on the site over the years, Rothenberg noticed an alarming number of inconsistencies in Glick's claims and the archaeological proof he had presented. In 1962, he published a devastating report of the work he and Glick had done at Tel El Khalifa. Firstly,
1: The holes that Glick had described as flues were carved into all four sides of the building. Rothenberg thought this didn't make sense as the wind only blew from the north. Why make holes in all four walls?
0: He also stated that the room Glick reported as a furnace room had no entries or exits. It would be impossible for anyone to go inside and adjust the furnace. In addition, the so called crucibles Glick had found were obviously a handmade cookware, matching other examples found across the Middle East.
1: Most tellingly, there was a lack of ancient mining waste anywhere near the site. Any place that acted as a large capacity metal refinery would have had mountains of a stony byproduct called slag nearby. But there was none at Tel El Khalifa.
0: The structure wasn't a copper refinery. It was part of a wall surrounding an ancient city. Glick himself even eventually agreed with Rothenberg's findings in a news article published in 1965.
1: While Glick had it wrong, other explorers still haven't given up the search for Solomon's mines. In 1999, author Tahir Shah mounted his own expedition to Ethiopia, to track down the answer to this ancient mystery.
0: Shaw's book, In Search of King Solomon's Mines, describes how his journey started when he was 33. It began innocuously enough in a curio shop in the old city of Jerusalem.
1: Many stalls made a business of selling dubious artifacts to unsuspecting tourists. Oftentimes, shops claimed to have real splinters from the cross Jesus was crucified on or the finger bones of saints. For the most part, these religious relics were actually worthless trinkets.
0: But as Tahir Shah stepped into a shop along the thoroughfare, hidden among the prayer beads and snow globes, something caught his eye.
1: It was an old faded map hanging on the back wall.
0: The shopkeeper, Picking up on Shah's curiosity, spun him a tale of how the roughly drawn chart led the way to treasures beyond imagining. This paper, which the shopkeeper's family had passed down for generations, pointed the way to King Solomon's mines in the mythical land of Ophir.
1: The shopkeeper told him the gold is in Africa.
0: As you probably expected, the shopkeeper's story wasn't exactly true. In fact, after buying the map, Tahir returned to the store only to find a different, equally authentic-looking chart hanging in its place.
1: This incident set the tone for Tahir's journey to find Solomon's lost minds. Perhaps one of the reasons why they've remained stubbornly hidden for so long is that many people would rather follow a good story over facts or history.
0: For his part, Shah was already very familiar with the search for the mines. His father and grandfather, both respected Afghan authors and travelers in their own right, had previously trekked through the Middle East in search of King Solomon's gold. It was a family obsession and the chance encounter with the fake map set Tahir on the same track.
1: Since his father and grandfather had already ruled out the Middle East with their own expeditions, Tahir set his sights on Africa. In his opinion, the mines and the lost city of Ophir could only be in one place, Ethiopia.
0: As we've mentioned, Ethiopian Christians have long claimed a historical relationship to Solomon through his child with the Queen of Sheba.
1: Tahir theorized that Ophir must be the site of the mines within the Queen of Sheba's ancient realm.
0: The location fits. When Solomon and King Hiram of Tyre launched their expedition to Ophir, they left from a port on the Red Sea. As we said before, Sheba was thought to include the Horn of Africa and span across the Red Sea into the Arabian Peninsula.
1: Many historians believe that this area also included the land of Punt, a fabled kingdom of riches that often did business with the ancient Egyptian empire. There is a particular carved relief at Da'ir el-Bahari, an archaeological site near the Egyptian city of Luxor that seems to provide some evidence that Punt was in Ethiopia.
0: Located inside the mortuary temple of the female pharaoh Hatshepsut, the relief illustrates the end of an expedition the pharaoh took to Punt. The image shows Hatshepsut bringing back luxury goods and gold on Egyptian-style reed boats.
1: The relief depicts a series of beehive-shaped huts meant to represent the homes of the Punt people. These curiously shaped structures are still in use today in Ethiopia. The Dorze people in the Rift Valley Mountains weave distinctive beehive-shaped houses out of bamboo.
0: And there are aspects of traditional Ethiopian life that seem to have been influenced by contact with ancient Egypt. The low, long reed boats favored by the pharaohs are still used by Ethiopian fishermen today.
1: Additionally, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church still uses an ancient traditional percussion instrument called a sistrum, which can be found in Egyptian hieroglyphs from thousands of years ago.
0: These remnants of Egyptian culture were well known to Tahir Shah and helped influence his decision to search for King Solomon's mines in Ethiopia. He reasoned that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt when Hatshepsut ruled. They would have heard of the fabulous wealth found in punt to the south
1: when solomon came to power and was looking to enrich his kingdom it made sense that he would seek out a place that had historically been associated with gold and luxury goods by this time the land of punt had given way to saba ruled over by the great queen of sheba
0: with these legends in mind tahir shah set off in 1999 for addis ababa the capital city of Ethiopia, to see if he could find the mines for himself.
1: There, Tahir found that people were eager to share their ideas of where Solomon's mines were located. The real issue was that in such a gold-rich country, multiple places could be the source of the king's wealth.
0: Following folk tales, rumors, and official stories, Tahir narrowed the possible gold mines to a few distinct locations their search would take them all over. Somewhere in Ethiopia, Solomon's mines were waiting.
1: But are the mines actually somewhere out there, hidden under the shifting sand dunes of Ethiopia or the Middle East? Are they lost forever?
0: Or were they just a story all along? Next week, we'll dive further into the mystery of King Solomon's mines, will follow journalist Tahir Shah as he navigates competing stories and unforgiving terrain to find the ancient mines somewhere in modern-day Ethiopia.
1: But while Tahir was certain the source of King Solomon's gold was in Ethiopia, there are other locations that claim to be the true origin. In fact, people have insisted they found King Solomon's mines all across the world from sites in modern-day Israel to India to the southern tip of Africa and even the Americas.
0: With the historical record being so vague and archaeological evidence being so scarce, all of these places could have a valid claim to the site of the mines. But which one is the true one? Join us next week to find out.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with Part 2 of The Lost Mines of Solomon. For more information on the search for the mines, amongst the many sources we used, we found In Search for King Solomon's Mines by Tahir Shah and the National Geographic article In Search of the Real Queen of Sheba by Stanley Stewart, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: See you next Thursday.
1: And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer.
0: Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Joel Stein. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Molly Quinlan and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.